Hello folks, welcome back. I'm your host Simon Ward and this is the High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast where I can promise that you'll always hear a Yorkshire accent and we'll never have any adverts. We chat with our guests about peak performance, fitness, health, nutrition, recovery, longevity, relationships, happiness and much more because it doesn't matter whether you want to finish your first spring triathlon, set a personal best at your next race or just keep turning up until you're in your 70s. Each of these elements has real significance. By the way, you can get access to a lot more information like this if you're on my mailing list. I typically email the group three times a week with tips and hints on a whole range of topics, most of which I've mentioned above. And if you'd like to join, then you can find a link in the show notes or you can email Beth at thetriathloncoach.com. I've also got a free gift for anybody who signs up. Now today I'm joined on the show by Alice Hector and Mark Palfrey. Alice was a professional triathlete reaching the level of victory in Ironman 70.3 competitions. She even dabbled in some ultra running events, but like it did for most of us, lockdown changed all that. With no races to focus on, Alice found her identity challenged and in her own words, was feeling a little lost. So she found a new outlet for her energy, bodybuilding. Mark Palfrey is Alice's bodybuilding and nutrition coach. You're going to enjoy this conversation because the focus away from the chronic cardio that we're all used to, to building muscles, is a 180 degree shift and it's a fascinating story. All right then, so let's get on with it and hear from Alice and Mark. Welcome to the show, Alice Hector and Mark Palfrey. Hello. Hi, nice to meet you. Yeah, and you. So Alice, we've known each other on and off and and not very well, but we have known each other, known of each other for quite a long time. You were part of the Loughborough Talent ID program, weren't you? Many years ago as a young, as a young lady, as a teenager, I think. And uh, we, you reminded me that we'd run a joint camp with some of the regions where we, uh, it was probably in the winter and we went mountain biking, didn't we? Yeah. I mean, it was back in 2001, I started at Loughborough and got, got taken um, into the triathlon wing. They were just looking for people of the right build back in those days. It was, Mm. I was ambitious, but not, not particularly fit or conditioned, but yeah, they, they took me under their wing and yeah, got going. Well, I'd like to come back to your triathlon journey in a moment, Alice. But the reason that I've asked you and Mark to be on the show today is because I um, just happened to see some photographs of you pop up on my Facebook feed. And I thought, hold on a minute, Alice Hector's a triathlete. What on earth is she doing on stage posing there? And uh, and so I looked into this a bit more uh, a bit more deeply, and it seems like you've gone to what I call the dark side, uh, the non-cardio <laughs> side now, where you're lifting weights and getting pretty serious and pretty good at it. Um, yeah. And so, so I was intrigued. Yeah, so up, up to a year ago, I would have never thought this would be me this time this year. Um, but, yeah, after – I mean, I'm nearly – six weeks six weeks till my 40th birthday so it's coming up and so I've done everything I've wanted to do in pro triathlon and I've, you know I've exhausted it really and then obviously Covid came round and the lockdowns and I was a bit lost you know and I was just I was, I was running and go, I thought I was going to go to my ultra running which I dipped in and out of over the last few years um, but I just I was just finding myself getting I was bored uh, tri- pro, pro triathlon was done 
And so if I was to carry on with that, it was the prospect of now going slower, doing the same thing, but slower. And it's like, oh, that's not particularly exciting. And then the running, you know, I used to really, really enjoy that zoning out for hours on end, just with my own company. But whilst I was getting some success in the races that I did, um, so last September, I did my best, probably my smoothest 40 mile trail race ever. And it was wonderful. It was like probably the perfect race. Um, but I had to get home and realize, you know, I've got to train for the next one. So the outcome was going really well. But the, the process, the, the day-to-day grind, as it were, of getting out the door and doing these long runs and just mm. doing the same thing over and over again. I just I wasn't I wasn't enjoying it. It wasn't ticking the boxes anymore. And I think it can be you, you go through a period of yeah, I felt very lost for a time. So I was looking, desperately looking for the next thing. And they often say, what well, it's right in front of you. <laughs> or because I'd already, you know, I, I'd already been a member of a gym for several years. Uh, my partner is a, he's a bodybuilder type, like he knows the scene quite well. Um, and I've never, I've never been interested in it. But I got into the gym and, yeah, within about a week or two, I could feel myself my posture was better the way I held myself right. was better. Yeah. my confidence was sort of improving and it was something new that I'd never done before so obviously the progression at the moment it's still the same I've, I've still not reached that plateau yet so every week we're sort of building and building and yeah it's been it's been far more rewarding um than I ever thought it would be you know just just trying something new has turned into a an amazing sort of journey in self-discovery really okay well I, I mean that's fascinating and we're going to dig into that a bit more mark i don't i don't want you to have to sit there for the for the 90 percent of the podcast and then and then wait for your little bit so let, let's just find out a little bit about your background because um the viewers and the listeners can't see this but i'm looking at you on the screen and no offense men but you definitely do not look like a triathlete <laughs> and, I've, and i've actually lost 20 pounds as well so i've literally just come out of shoulder surgery so um i'm a little bit sedentary myself at the moment but um so basically, I, I was a kickboxer for many years, um, and again, sort of, I fell out of love with the sport in terms of competing. Went into a gym, and if you're, I think, if you're a competitive person, you just get dragged along. So lifting weights wasn't enough. Next minute, I was on stage. Then I was competing at British level. Then I, you know, if you're reasonably good at what you do, then people ask you to help them. And before you know it, you're a coach. Uh, and then mm-hmm. you're trying to enhance your coaching skills. And then you end up owning a gym and then you're coaching some more. Um, so, and in a roundabout way, I sort of fell into specialising in, in coaching female athletes. Um, purely because my partner's competed. So you, you put your focus in that. Uh, if they're successful, um, then everyone thinks, wow, okay, you know she's british champion i wonder if you can make me british champion you make someone else british champion and then it you know it literally just grows from there um so i didn't really sort of wake up one day and think i want to be a bodybuilding coach uh but it's it's worked out well for me so um and up until probably five years ago i was competing myself as a master and the bodybuilding scene is it's timeless to a point so Yes, you know, there's some very big lads out there, but it is a sport, if you call it a sport, uh, that you can stay in in your late 50s as well. Some of the best competitors are over 40. Um, and it, uh, it, it's a lifestyle thing. I think that's where people get hooked up in it slightly differently. 
Um, you know, it's not just about being in the gym. In fact, being in the gym is 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 a big part, but not the biggest part. It's a lot of the the, the nutrition and the lifestyle stuff is is outside the gym in terms of nutrition and food preparation. So uh, it becomes a a life choice really, and then. You socialize the same people who all eat the same stuff and go to this, you know, so you just get dragged along with it. And I think this is what Alice is finding as well. It's a, it's a whole world, really. It, it's, it's interesting you say that about it being a lifestyle thing, because, you know, if you were a triathlete, you'd look at that and think, well, these guys are just pump, they just pump weights and they take, they take some gear and they, they just eat a lot of protein and they drink a lot of shakes that cost a lot of money. And, mm. uh, and that's it then. They're just muscle heads. They don't know anything about training. Of course, some of the most advanced training methods, certainly around nutrition and preparing for competition, are, w- are way more in advance of what we do in triathlon, I would think, in in both bodybuilding and physique competition. So uh, I think probably in terms of nutrition, we've, uh, you know, as multi-sport people, we've got a lot to learn from that. But also the competition and the people who are doing the competition are probably just a pointy end of it. There's a lot of people who just go into the gym because they want to lift. Alice talked about confidence, and I know a lot of people find confidence from lifting and, and just feeling a bit better about themselves. Um, and there's no reason why somebody who's going to the gym three or four times a week and wanting to live that lifestyle where they eat healthily, they mix with like-minded people, um, you know, it's a different, but it doesn't, but, but it's in, in some ways, the purpose of it is to have a healthy lifestyle, isn't it? And to keep yourself healthy and just, and, and, and build self-esteem, if you like, regardless of which sport you're doing. And I think, I think probably as um, Alice has talked about something that we can maybe touch on at the end about why don't people from different sports talk to each other and, and learn, which is what I'm sort of trying to do with the podcast. But I think we could, we could all probably learn a little bit from each other in that respect. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, I think um, now and again, I'll meet people from different walks of life, different training styles. Um, and I find it quite fascinating that you can actually take bits and pieces mm-hmm. from other sports and introduce them into your own and give yourself, and it gives you a more rounded uh, approach as a, as a coach as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not, for instance, I'm not a great fan of CrossFit. However, the functional lifting, the fitness, the endurance, uh, and some of their training regimes could be very beneficial to a lot of bodybuilders who literally move small amounts of muscle groups at any time. They ne- don't necessarily do a, a floor to ceiling functional lift. Um, so posterior chain can be compromised and they become limited in their range of motion. Um, so, you know, with a lot of the female athletes, I will put in functional circuits, for instance, maybe only once a week, but just to keep the athleticism of, you know, of, of a female body because otherwise you can become blocking so yeah no i think it, you know different types of athlete talking it, it, it's beneficial very much so yeah I, it's funny actually you mentioned crossfit i was just thinking of that as we as, as you were about to start talking there was also while i was out um out of my and I, I i don't even call it running anymore because i uh you know i just find that running batters my body completely um an aging skeleton so i uh, i run and walk and I go in the woods and have a bit of fun. I play around. If I can find some appropriate logs, I'll pick up, pick up those. I'll run up the hill with some bricks. I'll move around a few stones to build a wall or something. I'll climb a tree. I'll do a few pull-ups. Uh, anyway, while I was out, while I was out playing in the woods this morning, I was thinking about CrossFit and an article I'd read recently by a triathlon coach about what he didn't like about CrossFit. And I, like you, I, I started off doing Olympic lifting when I was 16 and um, learned to 
clean jerk and do all of those movements. Um, I find the idea of doing overhead squats to failure sort of a bit of a, a bit of a paradox because it's a technical lift. It's not the sort of thing you should be doing until your shoulders give way and you drop it on your head. Um, and also they're highly anaerobic, aren't they? Workouts of the day. And I was wanting to, I was, I was going to check my Facebook page and see if there was any people who do these workouts today regularly and see if I could look at heart rate profiles um, if they're doing them. Because certainly if you're a triathlete and you're trying to do some anaerobic sessions on the bike or on the run and in the pool and you're doing workouts of the day, pretty soon you're going to be completely drained. Um, so you've definitely got to separate those two out. But there's definitely a place for CrossFit at some point because triathletes generally don't move very well. They're very, they're, it's a sagittal plane exercise. They don't have much lateral movement. They definitely aren't that good at getting from the floor to standing again. And that's a functional movement for, for basic health, isn't it? So um, I think that any exercise program has got to have those elements of it first before we go down the performance element. What do you think, Alice? Have you been a triathlete? Uh, yeah, I don't move particularly well. <laughs> um, but we, we work around that. Um, yeah, it's... It's, yeah, I say I don't need to do, we don't do any sort of Olympic lifting. No, I mean, we, yeah. we, we focus a lot on posture uh, yeah. because, you know, in, in this sport, you've got the element of lifting, you've mm -hmm. got the element of nutrition. Come more prep competition time, you've got an element of cardio. Um, but all of those coming together on show day, if you can't display it in the right way, mm. um, you know, sometimes it's a bit futile, you know, because you can work hard in the gym, you could be totally shredded in terms of low body fat, your subcutaneous water could be low to demonstrate striated muscles. However, if you can't flare your lats and your shoulder yeah. posture is bad, uh, you don't know how to actually hold yourself on the on the mandatory poses on which you're judged, uh, then you're gonna, you're gonna lose, um, or certainly lose marks, not necessarily lose the whole show. But so, yeah, we work a lot more on posture. Um, you know, I spend a lot of time trying to rein her in because she's a bag of energy. So, I've got more energy than I've ever had before. Yeah. I don't know what to do with it right now, Simon. It's like, you know, I'm not used yeah. to it. You know, I'm, trying, I'm trying to we have a rest now. She's wanting to go again. I'm like, no, we're still resting. But she's wanting to go again. And you're talking. <laughs> I said, I'm talking because that's my way of forcing you to rest uh, in between steps. So, yeah, it's, it, it's um, the merging of the cultures is, is interesting and challenging. Typical triathlete. As soon as my heart rates down, I'm recovered. That's it. Let's go again. Yeah, like a, totally. like a, and, and that's, I mean, way. like spend an hour in the gym tops and um, half of it's probably more than half of it's resting. And it's like, what is this? <laughs> it's, but it's like I, I train at the pool and there's a group of sprinters who are in the next lane and they, anything over 100 meters swimming they're like well we don't do that yeah. now i mean they've all been swimming since they were 15 and they're they're sort of in their 40s and 50s now so they do have that background but you know they'll they'll do a max 25 meter sprint and then they'll just they'll just sit around chatting and you know a bit like the sprinters on the track people think they're lazy but you can't put out a, a maximal effort and stress the central nervous system like that without long recovery can you otherwise it, um yeah 100%. So, okay, well let's let's go right back to that that 2001 Alice. So you oh. were you were a, um, a budding triathlete. You were in the Loughborough um, talent program, uh, hotbed of triathlon as it was then before the Leeds Performance Centre was started out. Yeah. Tell us about what your triathlon training days used to look like. You know how many how many hours a day, how many hours a week. You know what did you feel like on that? Yeah, so 
uh, yeah, it took, it took me a year or two to sort of build up to be able to tolerate the loads. But then it, then once once I was firmly established in that sort of elite category, uh, the, the, the volumes never really fluctuated too much. It was we were given, I say the formula tended to be the same wherever I went or whichever squad I went into. Um, or if I was self-coaching for some time, yeah, I'd always follow the same sort of stuff. So it was about 20k a week of swimming. Um, I don't know the I don't know the miles on the bike, but say it was probably 10 hours a week, 12 hours a week plus on the bike. And then yeah, at six hours tops on the on the run. So I don't know. And then the strength and conditioning as well. Uh, it all adds up to about 20 to 25 hours. And I know some triathletes can tolerate more, but I that was my sort of limit really. 25 hours a week. I wouldn't go above that often. Sounds enough. Yeah, it was enough. Yeah. Mark's, Mark's sweating. Mark's sweating already. Just... Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's already, even though I've only been out of that sort of cardio type mindset a few months. You know, I was just speaking to my friend who's gearing up for Ironman, I think it's Frankfurt, coming up in two weeks. And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm tapering down now. And I only did a three hour ride yesterday. I was like, wow, three hours. And it's funny how, how you can be in that bubble for so long, mm. but it's just a habit. And once, you, once you've broken the habit, and like any habits are breakable, once you're out of the other side and you, you can see it for what it really is, which is a hell of a lot, a hell of a lot of volume. Yeah, and we we very definitely normalise big big volumes, yeah. don't we? Because you, you talk to a triathlete and they'll say, I'm having a really easy week this week. I probably do about six or seven hours of training. That's like, that's an hour a day. Now, the World Health Organization recommendations are maybe four or five sessions, 30 to 45 minutes of moderate to vigorous exercise to be in your utmost health. So if that was the bell curve, that puts you in this sort of, that bit at the top there. Any more than that, you start going down the other side to the point where um, a certain level of training actually becomes unhealthy. Um, and can cause other problems, you know, like oh, yeah. um, long, long-term heart issues, um, which I'm seeing a lot. Uh, fortunately, I've not, I've not been on the receiving end of that yet, but I've been part of some research where they've uncovered that in um, endurance athletes who've been involved in extreme endurance training for many years. And I'm seeing friends now who have, have heart problems mm-hmm. and had to stop. Um, and it's just because of that, what they thought was keeping them healthy has actually pushed them too far oh, the yeah, other way. I think- I think once you start getting into long distance triathlon and Ironman, either you're a pro and you're not very healthy because you're pushing yourself so hard or you're mm. an amateur, and you, but you're also pushing yourself hard. You might not be doing as many hours a week, but you've got all the other commitments usually that come with life. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, and I, as an athlete, I think as a triathlete, certainly I, I didn't do it in a very healthy way at all. I think that's fair to say. I didn't feel healthy ever, really. I, if, if you could tolerate the training load that week, it would normally be like, well, let's push it some more the next week. And it was always trying to push until you nearly broke. And yeah. so getting a bit older now and wanting, you know, being more aware of my health and not taking that for granted, it's like what, what I've sort of committed to myself doing this new sport is that I want to, I want to keep the ethos of bodybuilding. I want to be building something. I don't want to get into that sort of self-destructive kind of burning out, like feeling horrific, getting run down, that kind of thing. I don't really, I'll, I'll do it for a period, small period of time, say before a competition maybe, but it's got to be wholly positive. Um, and I lost sight of that when I was younger. 
It's interesting, isn't it, that if you ask people why they get, Marky, if, if people go to the gym and ask them why they got into that, or um, Alice, if, if you ask people what, what made you get into triathlon, they say, well, I probably I wanted to get a bit healthier, I wanted to get a bit fitter, it gave me a challenge, um, got the opportunity to mix with some different people. So these these hobbies start off as being healthy pursuits and for and for the first few months or years they are you know you probably do improve your health but then and I suppose it's the same with any sport people take it to extremes don't they and then they go beyond the point where it's leading to health and it actually starts leading to more injuries and unhealth well there's no end to these sports really Simon are there because you know I remember I did training camp with an Olympic champion once and her you know she's she's made it right she's Olympic champion but her goal was to win the next Olympics mm. and she ultimately failed at that so she kind of left the sport kind of you know her body language was always quite humble and things and I remember meeting her and I was like I was expecting this like really proud sort of person to take up a lot of space as people say these days and it's and no she was like just so humble because yeah it was like from that and she'd had a really I remember she had a really hard year after the Olympics actually because loads of commitments, loads of people coming her way, and it took, it detracted completely from the training that she wanted to do. Mm-hmm. It was very hard. So, yeah, what people wish for is often not quite... I think any extreme... Yeah. You know, if you're going to be very good at any sport, it will probably take it to a level where the average person doesn't really understand and can't quite compute. So, you know, mm-hmm. uh, bodybuilding... Um, martial arts, boxing, triathlon, you, you know, I think to, to when you start to get into competition and then higher levels of competition, um, I think you're, you are pushing the boundaries in terms of there's a very fine line between <laughs> hurt and health. And, uh, you know, in, it's the same in the bodybuilding world. You could carry on uh, progressively overloading your muscles, but if you push it too hard, you can have an injury. And unfortunately, then you come back you know, you take two steps forward and come back three. So it really is. It, it, it's trying to find that balance. Um, and, you know, I suppose that in every sport, you probably learn the hard way. Um, you know, I know certainly now, if I knew what I knew now when I first started lifting, I probably wouldn't lift like I did when I was younger. Yeah. Um, and this is why I've just spent 9,000 on shoulder surgery. So, you know, uh, hindsight is the wonderful thing. And we, all, we have that, you know, as an experienced athlete, you know, so... Uh, Mm, that that's interesting comment that about health to hurt and i think i think part of that is if if you start going into competition um in any sport then you you start creating an identity and this this is an interesting thing for me to explore with you alice is that you Mm. you obviously for many years you probably had that your own identity as a triathlete and also other people said oh that's alice hector she's triathlete and and those two things go together Mm. and when you so then when you when you identify as a triathlete or the same with for you mark as a bodybuilder or when you were um, a martial arts um yeah person before that people expect certain things of you and so you start you start living your life based on other people's expectations to some extent right and so i still meet triathletes now people say to me so what's your next race wardy i'm like i've not got one well, why not? Well, because you know what? I enjoy swimming with my friends and I enjoy cycling and I enjoy walking and running out in the woods, but but more so to be with nature than I enjoy the running part of it, right? And I quite enjoy the triathlon lifestyle, but do you know what? I've actually enjoyed not having to go to any races. Yeah, but but why not? 
Well, well honestly, because I don't enjoy it. I'm just not getting any fun out of racing. Um, and I, I know a lot of people struggle with that. And so they feel like they've got to meet these expectations based on this identity they've created for themselves. Did you, did you start to feel that pressure at some point? Because you were getting good results, weren't you? I mean, you were for the average for the average triathlete. You were an elite triathlete. Yes, I, I won an Ironman seventy point three, and I got three European elite long middle distance medals. Um, so yeah, I that's all I'd ever wanted to do, really. And I remember when I when I won that Ironman seventy point three in in Rugen in twenty sixteen, the male winner, he was like, "Oh, this is just beginning for you now. Like you'll you'll get used to all these wins." And I, I remember thinking, my gut, which I've learned to listen to finally, mm-hmm. my gut instinct said, "I don't want another one." <laughs> is all I wanted I just wanted that one it was it was wholly external motivate motivation for me at that time I realized um mm. uh, but I carried on for a few years because that's what I was also I was tied into sponsorships and obligations and it felt like yeah. my job and yeah and I did get some more results after that but it, it I don't know it was like you do get swept along with your identity and your bubble you're in a bubble aren't you it's your social mm-hmm. group it's your lifestyle um, but then I, I suppose that's probably what lockdown forced me to do was, you know, remove myself from that bubble um, by force and then reassess, find something else, which whilst it was a horrible grey time of my life and I got quite ill with long COVID as well, um, coming out the other side, yeah, in a way it was a great sort of stopper for getting in, just carrying on with the same thing because that's what I always have done finding something new mm. what was your nutrition like when you were a triathlete would you say you yeah. were just we would like a lot of triathletes will fire when I ask them about their nutrition they say oh, I do triathlon so it means I can eat anything and of course we know that that just eating anything isn't necessarily a you know you, you can't run generally you can't run away from bad diet and Mark you'll probably appreciate this more than Alice um, mm. is as you get older it's <laughs> you you can't run yeah. very fast so the, the, the poor diet catches up with you a bit more whereas when you when you were in your 20s you probably could do um but what was you were you really just using that as an excuse to eat everything or were you pretty fastidious with what you ate when when you were um, um, competing? Well, this, yeah I mean it's been this is one area that's been a massive eye-opener actually the contrast so yeah, eventually, you know, I, I got to the right triathlete shape, which is the long and lean. And the, for me, anyway, very, very sort of light um, for my height. But that's that process took several years, you know, 15 years, probably to sculpt myself into the right shape. Because, you know, you're just whilst I had a nutrition plan and things, it, you, because you're doing so, Mark will be able to tell you probably exactly why this is the way. But you're doing so much cardio and your body basically just feels like this furnace, your meta, your metabolism, metabolism. <laughs> um, it's just, not, it's just through the roof. And so I found it really, really difficult to pay any attention to strict diet. You try and eat the right foods as well, but you always have to have surplus. And so the, the priority for triathlon is getting the fuel in so you can train hard um, so you don't want to be compromised on that. You don't want to be going to bed hungry, particularly often and things like that. And so I was like, when I came to this new sport, it's like, I, you know, they're so regimented with their diet. And I was thinking, there's no way I can do this because, you know, I just eat <laughs> like whatever I can, whenever I can. But the moment you take away cardio, you do weight training and you go for a walk instead of 
you know, the high impact running and <laughs> cycling, swimming, you know, suddenly the control is there. You're not getting absolutely ravenous. And the way that the diet is set up, you know, five, six more meals a day, you're not ever getting hungry if you do it correct. So there, there's this misconception, I think, that you have to starve yourself to get on stage. And so far, I mean, I know I'm in the bikini category, so it's not an extreme category, but so far you can do that in a very controlled, healthy way. Um, just You just eat plain. That's all it is. Very plain. This is always a very difficult subject to talk about, Alice. So if you prefer not to, to, to discuss it, then please let me know. Female athletes and weight issues, particularly in endurance sports, we often hear uh, this narrative. Um, it's been going on for a long time now that, that there's an encouragement or a belief that you need to be lighter to be successful. And so sometimes there's an internal pressure in the minds of female athletes. Now, I might, I might add here that it probably isn't just in the minds of female athletes. There's probably some male athletes who think that being lighter and skinnier is better. But certainly we hear about it more in female athletes that there's either internal pressure because of that group dialogue or there's an external pressure applied by the coaching team. Um, so what was your experience of that when you were in triathlon? Uh, yeah, it's a great question, Simon. Um, yeah, and certainly it's come up um, over the course of my triathlon career um yeah so I found I found Loughborough to be fine um the, the setup there was good we were weighed quite a lot which I don't think in hindsight was necessary but it was a new program and um, so I can only talk uh from from my own experiences um obviously there are other people with different stories but but for me that was fine we had quite, quite frank discussions about a sort of body leanness and how that might if you were leaner and lighter it might help you go faster but it was all done in a very factual sort of positive um, way for me Um, but moving on to 2004 I moved to triathlon Scotland um, and then the game changed slightly Uh, I hadn't changed my body composition hadn't changed but I was probably I was still scratching on the surface of trying to be an elite athlete and I needed to sort of up my game and then yeah you're right the pressure was on all of a sudden um but the way it was delivered the messages uh, changed uh, the federation coach he would publicly berate me for having and I, I quote he, he would say you've got a fat ass in front of the other athletes um he would video us running for technique um say but then play it back um in the room full of athletes he'd, he'd zoom in on my behind and um and play play the impact shots of of my bum in slow motion to the group and just everyone just sat in silence and he would just smirk and the way it was done I mean I can't condone that I, in you know when you're when you're targeted a bit like that you become very suppressed um and it's very hard to speak out at the time I mean this is mm. god 15 years ago um but I find there's They've all, they've all got a point in that, you know, there is an optimum level of strength versus leanness and the athletic figure. Um, and as an elite athlete, you, you have to be, you, you know, you, you have to be optimized. Um, but there's a way of delivering the message. Um, and it's certainly not through humiliation. It's, I say, I, I found the factual, unemotional, just, try this, try that, we'll get there, that's fine, this might be better, this might not, as opposed to the sort of finger pointing and laughing. And yeah, that that wasn't the right way to go at all. I, I always think that when I'm 
dealing with athletes, if if you ask the question, what what is it you think that you need to do to improve your performance? And if they say, Uh, well, actually, I think I could do with losing a bit of weight, then then there will be another question, which will be, okay, so what makes you think that? And how do you think um, we should go about that? Now, if they then say, well, if I, if I reduced a thousand calories a day for the next five weeks, I can lose three kilos and get down to my optimal racing weight. Um, I might be asking them if they, you know, if that's the best way. Um, I might also ask them why they think that X figure is their optimal racing weight. I mean, surely your optimal racing weight is the one where you race best. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, and I mean, who knows what that is? I mean, if if you're racing out in Hawaii and um, being leaner helps you deal with the heat better, then that that racing weight might be different to racing in um, London in the middle of June when it's actually cold and raining. 100%. 100%. Yeah, I agree. So, so um so what what impact did that sort of um language have on your approach to uh, nutrition at the time Alice? Uh to be honest, I, I think because I'm just clearly not predisposed to have an eating disorder, it didn't affect my nutrition <laughs> at all. And maybe frustratingly for the coach, uh, I didn't lose much weight very quickly. It did come off slowly over the course of maybe 10 years, but certainly not mm. in his era. Um, but no, it what it did, it manifested itself in other ways. So, you know, my mental health started suffering and and I got very stressed and I couldn't sleep and, and that kind of thing, you know. So, mm. so it always has an outlet, be that you try and yeah you you know eating disorders as I understand it's all about taking control so you're trying to you're trying to grapple you know when you're feeling vulnerable and suppressed and yeah mine was mine was a sort of self-implosion if you like slowly so other than the way I've just suggested uh, approaching the subject which you were nodding and and sort of enthusiastically onto (laughs) how how would that subject of best being approached if the coach felt like there was a change that needed to be made what what do you think will be a better approach and I'm thinking more of coaches who might be listening now that might be faced with a a similar situation that you think needs to be dealt with but aren't sure where to get started Uh, great question again um so yeah I would say looking at a long-term plan um I, I remember I did a I went up to visit uh when I started triathlon again when I was 30 I went up to visit Bill Graves and oh yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And he he left so he left me a message. He gave me a message that sort of left me, you know, it left it stuck with me. And it's like he said, you know, if you stick at it for ten years, your body will eventually morph into the shape it needs to be for triathlon. Mm. And he was like stuffing himself in sweets and things at the time, and I remember that. And it's true. I think certainly as a young athlete, when you're not conditioned, you're not particular. I, I found I wasn't particularly reactive. Whereas now I'm older, I seem to respond much better to mm. a, if to if I restrict my food a little bit for that competition. You know, my body sort of just morphs very quickly but back in the day it didn't there wasn't the response because I don't think I had the conditioning there Mm. but it was all very short-sighted it was like I was given four weeks to change my body shape my Mm. body weight and it needs to be a five-year plan a 10-year plan um so I think coaches do need especially with young athletes you know you just need to go in with a big picture um and also I did feel very I'm, you know, I'm quite academically intelligent, but when it came to nutrition, looking back, I didn't have a clue. You know, we were just eating mm. toast and jam in the mornings or having a hot chocolate at night, you know, just these sugar spikes. 
And so obviously it's going to be very hard to control a diet if you, you're going high GI and then crashing again, just get starving. So there was a lot. Yeah, you could do group seminars. So you, you, you've got you've got athletes that are already lean enough. Maybe you've got the athletes that aren't, but you deliver the message as a group. So it's not too people don't feel singled out, perhaps. You talk about when you're in a group, there are some people who are naturally lean, aren't they? Yes. And if those people are also doing well, it almost becomes like, well, that's the model that we need to do well then. We need we need to be lean um, because QED cause and effect. But that's not that's not always the case. They may just be naturally lean, may, mightn't they? Um, and, it, and as you said, the short-term thing about really cutting down on the calories while you're doing all that training um, can have more harmful effects than beneficial. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you certainly don't want to be cutting calories when you're trying to be a triathlete it just does not work at all but interesting what you said about um being naturally lean um because now i'm now i'm where i am and i've done the 20 30 years of quite high level training you know what i'm finding now simon is i've gone people look to me now as being that one to look at whereas Mm -hmm. before you know i've been in my early 20s i was the one looking up to these elite triathlete girls say in their early 30s that were super lean and I wished I could be like them whereas now I've got people younger than me wishing they could be like me and saying oh I wish I was your body shape and how do you get so lean and I'm like no don't do this because it is literally just time that you need and they haven't been in the sport or triathlon or bodybuilding that long Mm. and it is just a process and I feel bad because they're looking at me how I looked at the other girls and the roles have been reversed and I want to say no please don't compare because it is just a matter of time and just the slow burn do the slow burn (laughs) well I think you know I've I've done a a few nutrition courses now I guess Mark and I might be aligned on this basic principle of if you eat real food the majority of the time you're going to you know the first thing is that you've got to provide your body with the right nutrients you've got to provide it with carbohydrates with fats and proteins and you've got to provide it with the minerals and vitamins that it needs to rebuild and when you're young and you're growing and you're doing lots of training that's critical because i mean let's put the athletic part of a human being aside we're talking about human beings there's going to become there's going to be an end to that athletic career and when they go on to have a job and start a family and you know, if you've if you've impacted your long term health for a short term gain, that's that's not very sensible, really. Um, so eating real food, but also to understand that ten percent of the time, if you stray away from those principles, it doesn't really matter. And actually, oh, yeah, when when you yeah. when you're doing when you're doing five or six hours of training a day, sometimes you need to eat some chocolate or ice cream or have a hot chocolate to get the calories in because you're certainly not going to get enough calories in eating bags of spinach all the time. Yeah, yeah, you've just got to make sure that the, the high GI is balanced with the low GI so you don't get those horrible crashes and that's that's it. So yeah, have the chocolate, but have a piece of cheese as well. <laughs> chocolate and cheese. The C the C and C diet by Alice Hector. Absolutely. Yeah. Um what about you know, we've we've often when we talk about body image things um and relative energy deficiency syndrome, which is becoming gaining more um gaining more publicity now but we we talk about in this this in the context of female athletes but it's not just female athletes is it that are at risk um youth males that are in the sport uh, are also at risk if they're not nurtured properly and not given the right advice have you did you have any um 
did you have any insight into the way in which some of the guys at Loughborough were looking after the diet and sort of handling that pressure as well in the group? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, well, I've seen it with my own eyes. It can affect both genders. Um, absolutely. So, that, I mean, that's my that's why I think it's key to, you know, we want equality, don't we? So it's it's to, to treat everyone equally and, you know, do those group discussions the group education check I, I would say certainly for young athletes they do need a support network so I'd urge you know all parents of young athletes young adult athletes you know even if they're in their 20s you know you, we still haven't lived life we don't know what's out there so do do verbal check-ins regularly you know ask them outright how things are going um because you know if things are going slightly wonky <laughs> you tend to get a bit suppressed it's very very hard to speak out you you withdraw so yeah they need regular check-ins with people that aren't directly coaching them and in their sort of sporting network and equally I think yes anyone bearing witness to anything that they see needs to be reported so if if people are looking withdrawn or gaunt or you, you know the behavior changes everyone I think in a in a squad has a responsibility to look out for one another and that that was missing in the early 2000s um certainly no and it's and it's not just triathlon we should say that you know there's been there's been stuff about um that sort of approach in cycling particularly it's come out recently I think probably gymnastics is going through it now maybe maybe swimming as well so um Mark you've uh no doubt chatted with Alice about her nutrition from uh triathlon um you probably <laughs> you probably have more, the, more than a few up. more than a few raised eyebrows um how does that differ from um uh, alice has already given us a little peek into it by talking about the sort of lots of small meals how, do, how does that differ from the approach in the bodybuilding world i think um, the the biggest culture shock for her was it doesn't matter if you're off season as in trying to build or competition you're very accountable uh, or should be uh, in terms of your meals, caloric intake, and that kind of stuff. So the first thing I made her do was buy some scales because I wanted her to weigh her meals. Um, and the reason it, the, the reason for that is simple. You know, in 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 the bodybuilding world, probably more so than than other sports. You know, you, there's a big emphasis on your macros. Obviously, your protein, your fat, your carbs. Different coaches have different approaches. You've got your people that are um, you know, that are fat-based, low-carb, keto-type, you know, that, that's not my world. I'm, I'm a carbohydrate dieter. But um, obviously the key thing, and this is very, very different in bodybuilding with pretty much any other sport, probably even more, you know, even with weightlifting and powerlifting, is our key objective is to build as much muscle as we can. So protein requirements are probably more prevalent in bodybuilding than they are with other sports. You know, the, the, the good side of that is that if you're eating high protein in terms of feeling full, mm. um, you know, that keeps you feeling fuller for longer. So you're less likely to. Also, we combine meals so we don't just consume carbs. The moment you consume protein with carbs, you change the glycemic load, the glycemic index. So you don't spike your insulin levels as much. So, again, you're less likely to store body fat because you're not spiking insulin. Um, you know, when we're taking on carbs, we're concerned about the quality of the carbs, starchy carbs, fibre. Well, fibre doesn't go against your net carb load and we don't want sugar. So, you know, it was a little bit of a culture shock for her when I said, 
Uh, I'm not going to give you a set of, of figures and I'm not going to sort of say, just eat this. I want you to eat 125 grams of cooked rice. I want you to eat 175 grams of cooked chicken. Uh, you can have as much salad as you want. Um, in the evening, we're going to reduce your carbohydrate in intake because you're more sedentary in the evening. So I think the control side of it was a little bit of a culture shock. Um, you know, off season, yeah, sure. Do you know what? If you wanted to have that Mars bar in addition to your baseline food, that's not a problem because we want to be in a caloric excess. We don't want to be in a deficit. The moment you're in a deficit, it's almost impossible to build uh, build muscle tissue. Um, but things like, you know, having the right amount of protein so that you activate mTOR, which is, you know, essential for muscle protein synthesis. You know, you need to have a certain amount of protein. So, oh, I just had a bagel. Doesn't cut it. You know, if you had five eggs, that's five whites and two yolks and a bagel. Now we're talking. So I did. She, she has been had to be a lot more accountable. Uh, and then even in the diet phase where, I, you know, because she's genetically, I would say, superior to, to a lot of people, um, she can get away with a little bit because also her energy expenditure. She's very energetic. She trains extremely hard. I constantly have to remind her to stop, rest, recover. Um, but because of that, she could add a little sauce and a little bit of this and a little bit of that, even in the diet phase. And it's only in the last couple of weeks where then we have a little bit of a falling out where I'll say, that's gone, that's gone, take that out, none of that. Then we have the sulky face, but it, it takes that it makes the difference between good and exceptional. When she's got the trophy, then we're back friends again. So, yeah, that was, that was I think, my point going on from triathlon. It took, say, 10, 15, 20 years to build the right body for me that got me my fastest. But the, what you can do in bodybuilding is mad because you've got that control. I don't, I'm not this furnace of, you know, I don't, we, we have the controlled diet and it's, mm. it's so regimented and it makes there's so much science to it that it was what that's that last week going yeah. into the show. I changed completely. Yeah. And I don't, it is a darker, I don't understand exactly, I just do what I'm told at the moment. But yeah, it's all sorts of things about water retention and reducing inflammation and yeah, and things just start popping and it's like all diet based. It's incredible, really. It's, I mean, I, I'm a nutrition coach with Precision Nutrition. So I, it's, it's not about the chemical um, and the biological parts of nutrition. I understand most of that, maybe not to the same depth as Mark, but it's about, in a lot of the times, it's about um, helping people to overcome the obstacles to them eating better, to, to being more organized about their eating, to, you know, to maybe experiment. So you talk, Mark, about having more carbohydrates tonight or less carbohydrates tonight. There are some people who seem to get better on having carbs in the evening and less in the morning. There are some mm. people who seem to, to be better if they stack the carbs in the morning and have less and less throughout the day. I definitely think that the majority of triathletes um, and probably the majority of humans haven't cottoned onto the fact that protein's a good thing and that um, we should we should probably have more of it. And I know certainly as as a you know as I'm getting older now and approaching my sixties that I need to be eating more because my protein synthesis isn't quite as efficient as it was when I was thirty. Um, yeah. I need to be lifting more because I'm trying to counteract the aging process and the loss of muscle mass and fast tissue, um, fast twitch fibers. But but I also think people think that there's this idea that if you eat too much protein, it's bad for your kidneys and liver, but there's been a couple of longitudinal surveys where they found that if people were eating twice the recommended amount, I think it was four grams per kilo of body weight for a whole year, there were no real changes to blood, blood markers or anything in a negative way. Um, no. So, and, and, and 
when you're looking at protein intake, is that, you know, because I've, I've had people say, well, you shouldn't really take in more than 60 grams of protein per day. And, you know, my argument straight away is that for a eight stone female who's yeah. uh, natural, or is that for a 22 stone chemically enhanced male athlete? Because surely there should be some kind of difference. And like you say, there's been tons of studies to show that actually um, excess protein really doesn't do any damage. But I, I had a, a epic discussion with the nutritionist a while ago <laughs> when they sort of said you you're only allowed a certain amount of protein and i said okay let's just do let's just do a case study now you've got this guy what's his basal metabolic rate i said what's his base calories based on you know let's say harris benedict formula okay 3200 for maintenance i said okay and you're going to give him 60 grams of protein at four calories per gram that's 240 mm -hmm. calories so the rest of that guy's diet is from fat and carbs and you mm -hmm. think that's healthy and they went well <laughs> i said what were you about to say yes or no i, I said so you know yeah. i would have protein to one and a half grams per pound of body weight because i don't think it's dangerous i would have the carbs at slightly you know higher than you know but th this is where sometimes People, you know, they literally get slain by their own sword because they, they make a sweeping statement about how much you should have. Mm. And then when you actually look at someone's overall diet, it ain't great. It's, it's no. just not great. Well, and, and also, you know, there's this thing about, well, if I eat more protein, but they're, they're eating rubbish protein. Or I, I talk to people, say, I'm, I'm, I've got nothing against vegans uh, or the vegan approach. If it's working for you, that's perfectly fine. But when somebody says to me, yeah, I'm going to, um, I'm going to become, I want to make my diet more healthy. So I'm going to, I'm going to eat vegan food and then they're having vegan McNuggets. I mean, that's just vegan mm. shit, isn't it? Well, you, you know, you know, you can't doesn't like me having um, the protein shakes, really. You'd no. rather, much rather me bring a chicken breast. Yeah. And eat it like well, I, I, I've, um, I get all my meat now from the butcher. And, and I ask the butcher what farm he gets it from, and he'll he'll say, oh, this is this farm up here. It's it's on the hill, you know. The cows are out on the field all the time. It's all grass-fed, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I'm, I'm getting proper quality meat from him um properly sourced so i'm getting good quality protein as well and i'm constantly trying to get good quality food and i know it's more expensive and you know again um it's a privileged position we're in isn't it to be able to choose what we're eating but if you're going to invest in something then investing in spending more on food is a good investment in your health both both at the current moment and in the long term i, I say i've always i've always thought like that but Going back to your training, Alice, 25 hours a week, normalized, you know, 10 hours a week seems like a recovery week, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> only in triathlon. Um, and now you're doing, what, an hour a day most days? Yeah, so I did an hour tops in the gym. Um, that's enough. With Mark, I just do my 30 minutes training with him. And that's all that's all his PT sessions are, 30 minutes. And he's not, I don't think you've had one complaint yet. No, no matter <laughs> no matter the standard of athlete, and he's trained very top. 30 minutes if it's done right is enough. I'll do little extra bits like my core and stuff after that. But yeah, so it's an hour, hour a day in the gym with one rest day, and then I'm walking, I'm doing about four times a week, 45 minute walks, which is great for getting outside, you know, as you say, mentioned that getting into nature so i'll always find the trails the local trails and yeah mm -hmm. get back to that yeah. so, and so what does a typical 30 minute workout consist of then um so we focus on a body part a day 
And so I, I train legs twice a week and shoulders twice a week and the rest of it, it's once a week. So there's plenty of time for recovery. And then, yeah, I think it's just, there isn't that much rest in Mark sessions, but you you rest one, like you do your quads and then you'll go straight. You'll do a super set, it's called, where you do your quads and then you'll do your hamstrings and then you'll mm-hmm. go back to your quads. And yeah, what we do, about three, four sets. Yeah, so... We, we, the, the reason we managed to fit so much in is we sort of, you know, sort of work around active recovery. So if, for instance, we're doing a, a back movement, in between that, we'll put a tricep movement in because every time you exercise your back, you're working your biceps, so they're already tired, but your, your triceps are fresh. So we'll do back and triceps together. We'll do chest and biceps because they're opposing muscle groups. So yep. what we do is we're keeping a heart rate up. We're keeping exercising. Uh, we're, be, we're making efficient use of time, but we're still having rest periods in between, but working alternative muscle groups. So that's that's how we structure it. Um, um, and, and so, yeah, but when I, I think the perception coming in was, I said to Mark within a few weeks of, well, a few days probably of meeting him was like, oh, when can I train in the gym twice a day? <laughs> and he said to me, you don't. No one does. No one good does twice a day in the gym, really. Um Oh really? I don't understand I, why. I, I just thought you'd be you'd be doing the same sort of hours that you would be in triathlon, really, to get to get good. But as Mark explains, um, you know, if you do, you get severely punished for overtraining in bodybuilding because you're trying to build muscle, and the moment you go catabolic, so, mm-hmm. yeah, then then it's it, you're getting no benefit whatsoever. In fact, you're you're doing the opposite. It's just a waste of time, and it's doing you it's undoing all the good work anyway so you are really limited in what you can do so less is more so i've learned something there and i actually i thought that a lot of the the, the very advanced bodybuilders mark then were, were doing split sessions twice a day a top pro might do chest in the morning and arms in the afternoon um but then they don't have a day job they have their meals right. cooked for them they're right. resting in between so right. at an advanced level you know if that was your job yeah, uh, right. There's, there's only a minute percentage of people who actually get paid for being a bodybuilder. You could afford to do that. I mean, to be honest with you, I own a gym. I live in a gym. So I might do the same. I might get up in the morning. I might do shoulders in the morning uh, and I might do calves in the afternoon, for instance, or whatever. So um, but that's a that's a sort of a lifestyle or pro choice, but not necessarily an essential Um and you would probably, again, maybe structure your nutrition slightly around that. So, you know, you've got all these bodybuilders that literally finish their workout and they go and eat some cocoa pops or have some jelly babies because they think they're replenishing their glycogen levels. And I'm thinking, for what? You're going to go sit, sit at home and play Xbox. You don't need your glycogen replenished right now. In fact, what you could do is, is you know, some protein absence of carbs so it doesn't spike your insulin and blunt your natural growth hormone levels and then have, you know, and your normal meals but uh, the, you know the, the bodybuilding is at the forefront of sometimes bro science where everyone's running around trying to reinvent the wheel when the wheel was turning quite nicely on its own but because guess what you know magazines don't sell it there's not new articles new articles mean new info <laughs> rehashed info it's like flares were in in the 70s then they were really out of fashion now they're back in again it's the same with bodybuilding nutrition uh, and you get some people, and we were just talking about this earlier on, you get someone come along who is the best looking, you know, physique you've ever seen. And then you discover that his training's appalling, his diet's appalling, and he's a genetic freak. And you're just thinking, I am literally bending 
your science to try and be like you. But unfortunately, you can't out-train or out-nutrition you know, out nutrition awesome genetics. And when a person like that gets everything right, that's when they become Mr. Olympia. So, you know, the, the, the Olympia of that sport is, is a, a combination of training, nutrition, and superb genetics. So I've still got my flares from the 70s, by the way. <laughs> You know, with the do you remember with the five buttons on the waistline and, yeah, uh, and the big pockets, yeah. and the big pockets, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I might still have my platform shoes as well if I'm lucky. I need platform shoes just to be the same height as her. Yeah. So do I. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny though, isn't it? Because Zoom makes it look like you're the same height as Alice. I know you're sitting down, but um... yeah, I've got a higher chair. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, but that that whole going back to the training though, um, if you're doing different body parts as part of your you know active recovery there is um there is actually a training method the peripheral heart action where you use different parts of the body which means the cardiac muscle has to pump the blood around to different muscles and so therefore you do get some cardiac benefit from training like that even if even if you don't realize it because your heart rate is not hitting your threshold levels there is some there is some stress on the cardiac system and you know for, for for normal health that actually can be enough um, and of course, if you're using, uh, if you're doing something like, uh, did you use compound movements a lot, squats and deadlifts and, and, and so that sort of thing? Uh, Alice's training is sort of periodized to a point. Um, yeah. and so we'll do one week, we'll do heavy, more compound lifts, slightly lower rep range, a little bit more increased rest. Then she'll do two weeks of hypertrophy based volume training where there is supersets, giant sets, drop sets. Um, so more intensity, then we'll have a, a deload week where a little bit more stretching, you know, uh, bilateral, so unilateral movements rather than bilateral, less compound, and then back in heavy. So it goes heavy, intense, intense, light. Mm. Um, and that, that seems to, to work well because, again, you know, you, you can't just keep pushing the envelope of more weight, more weight, because, you know, all of a sudden something's going to injure and then you're back not being able to train at all. So, you know, it, it's detrimental to the cause, really. You... Um, you talk there about magazines and bro science and uh, all of that sort of stuff. It's not just it's not just bodybuilding. Triathlons exactly the same. Oh really? You know, oh, uh, yeah. I'm, I've just I've just written a little um, giveaway about that. You know how to train for an Ironman. Simple ways to train for an Ironman. It's like just get the training done. Be consistent. Don't get injured. Go to sleep regular. You know at the right time every night. Eat healthily. And what does eating healthily mean? Well, it means eating good quality food, cooking it yourself, staying away from processed food, refined sugars you know, all the simple stuff. But if I wrote a book about all that, it's not going to sell, is it? Because there's nothing new and catchy in there. It's like, well, I've heard all that before, but what you, what people find Mark is when they come to people like you who are seen as an expert and, and, you know, and somebody at the top of the tree in, in their profession, or they talk to, you know, some of the coaches I know, Chris Jones, that you'll know, Alice or Malcolm Brown, um, some people might even put me in that category, but they'll come along and they'll say, well, that's really simple. I'm like, yeah, because it is actually really simple. It doesn't need all of that stuff, but you have to have been around for a long time to have earned the credibility for simple to actually be um, yeah. to actually be believable. Because, and I think a lot of the, I think a lot of the problem in in both of our sports and many others is that a lot of coaches need to try and prove their worth, and so they want to come up with something complex or unique in order to justify what they're doing. You know, to, mm. to almost make themselves feel worth worthy. 
and they don't need to be but old 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 hands like you and I, Mark, we don't care anymore, do we? We just like yeah. this works. So just do it and do it and do it tomorrow as well. And then keep doing it next week and you'll see it'll work. Well, I, I, ironically, I only I have only ever met two triathletes, and that's this one here and my good friend Emma, Emma Pallon. Oh, right, okay. Uh, and I, the ironic thing is, I when I'm talking to my bodybuilder world, use your world as a comparison to give my lot a kick up the butt. So, and I'll, I'll tell you what I mean. When I first met Emma Pallon, I had no idea, and I said, "So, what are you doing today?" She went, "Oh, well, I've done two hours in the pool." Then I did a 10K. Then I did two hours on the bike. And I might do a 10K later. I, I just looked in utter disbelief. And I went, is that a joke? She went, no. How else do you think you get in the Olympics? I went, so what? But I, 10K would take me all day. She went, it's only about half an hour. And I was thinking, wow. So what happens now is when I get bodybuilders that go to me, why do you do 15 reps and slow it down? And I said, well, let's just think about this. So I said, let's say you train chest once a week and you do six reps. So you do six reps. Let's say that takes you, I don't know, 20 seconds. You do three sets. So you've done three sets and that's taken you one minute and you're doing three exercises. So that to- total time under tension is three minutes. I said, can you imagine going up to an Olympic triathlete and going, hey, listen, I train my chest for three minutes a week. <laughs> They'd look at you and go, ha. It, my my warm-up is three minutes okay and then i do two hours of the pool a 10k two hours on the bike a 10k and so it makes almost my world look quite pathetic really but obviously we're, we're at different ends of the spectrum um, but there is some happy medium in the middle where volume training time under tension in the modern, modern bodybuilding world has come to the forefront and literally just picking something up six times and slamming it down uh, and then moving on to the next thing is, you know, it works for some people who every single muscle fiber is stimulated no matter what they do. But those people are very few and far between. So for someone like myself, who's a hard gainer, you know, you need to put the reps, the sets and the time under tension in this. Well, so it, interestingly there, you've, you've talked about this individuality and some people some people are genetic freaks and they can respond to this and that and the other very quickly. Other people are hard gainers and they, they need to do the volume and they need, you know, they need many years. Alice, you talked about peaking in your thirties and forties, whereas, um, and I think we've always found female endurance athletes are peaking later, but, but actually if you look at some of them now, they're, they're coming to, they're peaking a lot earlier. That's probably because they're starting a lot earlier as well. Um, I mean, you see the same in, in Tour de France cyclists. Nobody ever used to win the Tour de France until they were in the 30s. Now you've got Bernal and Pogacar have won it in their early 20s, and that's because they've started cycling at the age of 10, and they've yeah, yeah. been following, following scientific principles from an earlier age. But everybody has to find what works for them, don't they, whether it's the training method or the diet. And I, I don't know, Mark, if you've heard of a guy called uh, Dr. Tommy Wood. Um, he's, uh, he's based in America, but he's a British guy, but he has this phrase. He says, look, if you tell me, science might not prove this, but if you tell me you're, you're following a keto diet and you're doing Ironman triathlon and it's working for you, he said, I can't argue with that. Uh, no, you, you might be in a small, you might be in a small niche group of one that it's working for, but if you say it's actually working for you and you're following it strictly, that's fine. And, and likewise, you know, you'll, you'll see people in, in the bodybuilding world and you think, I don't know how that's working, but they seem to be doing pretty well on it. So I can't really argue. Yeah. And that, that's, that's the, 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 the tough thing because, you know, sometimes 
you'll tell someone you need to train like this, you need to eat like that, you need to rest like this. And then they go, look at him, he doesn't. And you think, but he's not you, yeah. <laughs> you know. And I remember I met a, a top Olympia athlete many years ago. Um, and a lot of good people, and we were, again, Alice and I were talking about this earlier, a lot of very good people don't even realise why they're good. Um, and I sat there and I said to this guy, you you train hard and I said I train hard uh you eat really well and you know measure all your food and, and so do I um I said you know you you take performance enhancing drugs and and so do I so why don't I look like you and he went and he, and he had no words uh, and the reason is that you know what he had a different amount of percent or percentage of type you know, two fast twitch muscle fibers to me. He had better origin in insertion placement. Genetically, he was just better. I mean, and when you talk about genetics, it just not just the means that you've got good insertion points or you've got big quads. Genetics relates to how your body processes hormones, how your gut deals with, you know, processing food, mm. um, you know, how your central nervous system recovers. Genetics is a very wide thing. And, and some people can train every day and not get burnt out. Other people have to have rest. And I think that's why, you know, you look at places like America where they're very, very big on rest and recovery. They brought out this watch which says, don't train, your central nervous system is, is shot. You need some time out. Uh, in England, we're still a little bit, yeah, more is better, more is better. And you think sometimes you take a week out of the gym, you come back in and, and you think, God, I should do that more often. That's But yeah, we're... We're a little bit caveman at times. Um, and sometimes, like you say, the, the best science doesn't always produce the best results. It, it, it's very individual. So, I mean, I work with, with Alice completely different to I work with other people because mm. I have to work with, with what works for her. And it's only when you've been working with someone for a period of time, you start to understand each other. And I said, remember what we did last time? We're going to do that because that worked really well. But that wouldn't work for Mary over in the other corner, you know. So, Well, it's like... I was telling Alice that I used to buy muscle and fitness magazines when I was 15 or 16. And um, if you were engaged in that world, then Mark, you remember Frank Zane used to win oh, Mr. Yes. Olympia. I was saying yeah. to Alice that he used to get called out a lot by people for being too small. I mean, if you stood next to him, he'd have a pretty impressive physique, but next to mm. Mike Mentzer and, um, and Arnold and um, uh, Robbie Robinson, he was probably yeah. quite small, but he had really, really good symmetry, didn't he? And that was what used to win in the Mr. Olympia was he was good on stage and he just had fantastic symmetry. He didn't have any weak points other than the fact that he perhaps wasn't carrying as much poundage as some of the other guys. Um, but a lot of the bodybuilders were quite small, weren't they? Because it's a lot easier yeah. to fill out and put muscle on if you're five foot five than if uh, like Franco Colombo than it is if you're six foot two like Arnold. Oh, yeah, that's why I compete. I've competed a few categories in the bikini world, but they do have a separate one for tall, bikini tall, because, yeah, I'm five foot ten. So and they did actually do a comparison with me and the short winner. We both got on stage last competition and she's about five foot two and I'm five <laughs> foot ten. And obviously, yeah, she's filling her the angles and the proportions are a bit what more they were looking for that a bit more so she she ended up winning those that little showdown um mm -hmm. but yeah they have a separate category for tall people which is quite nice <laughs> well let's let's talk about um i'm always really interested in this about competition this this yeah. um when you come into a competition you talked about stripping down the fat straightening the muscles 
um, Alice, in the pre-talk we had, you talked about um, this this whole concept of minimising the inflammation, which was an interesting concept because I was thinking a bit more about that about um, about that whole principle of not you know triathletes not training so the muscles weren't inflamed, but also you've got to retain the the cardio part and the the hormonal type of um, um, regulation as well, haven't you? In 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 triathlon, so it, it might be slightly different, but just. Mm. T- Tell us about the discipline that's required. I mean, you've already t- you've already mentioned the discipline required to weigh out your food, and of course, if you like if you like sweets, you know it must be quite tempting well, at times to have a Mars bar and yeah. and have to have to not have any of that sort of stuff in the house. So, um, how long how long does a how long does a competition phase last? So yeah, I think people call that the prep phase. I'm yeah. still learning. <laughs> um, so yeah, that started. I think I, I did. I did the majority of the good work. Like we, we were never in a hurry. It was about 12 no. weeks, 16 weeks. We started getting fairly regimented with things, but it wasn't until the final two weeks, which is when, you know, marks, there's no fat really. There's no salt. There's no sauces. All those little things really add wow. up. And I never realized this in terms of, I don't know what salt. It just. So, I mean, obviously in the final week of the competition, mm. a lot of, it, it depends on, again on the individual, but say for instance, if your client has a, a tendency to hold water subcutaneously, you might manipulate your water in the last week. So what you'll do, uh, say Monday, say Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, is you'll gradually up their water higher and higher and higher and higher. Um, and then maybe on a Thursday, you might drop it down a little bit. On a Friday, you'll half it. Uh, and then stop it at a certain time because that raises our aldosterone levels and flushes water out of your system. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you might you 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 might manipulate your sodium intake um, and potassium to further enhance that. But to be honest with you, it's one of those things that literally can be very hit and miss. So what I'll tend to do with most of my athletes is get them ready way ahead of time, so that for instance, two weeks out. Alice looks pretty much stage ready. So then we can softly, softly dry her out without having to try and super manipulate anything. Because it's a, I don't know if you've ever seen that um, advert where you had the guy chipping away and he, he, look, he looked back at his statue and he thought, it's one little bit. Mm. And he chipped it and the arm fell off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a bit yeah. like me and my triathlon yeah. career. So... <laughs> Bodybuilding is exactly like that. And you've seen many people who a week or two weeks out, they look fantastic. And then they try and do something super witchcraft in the last week. And everyone calls it peak week because they think they're going to change. It's it's not just bodybuilding. There's examples of triathletes who were ready for race day. And then in race week, and I'm not mentioning your example here, but in race week, they go out and do just one more three hour run. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah. Right yeah. over the edge, they've gone and uh, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It's that it's that patience game, isn't it? And the mind games, and just having the confidence that it's all going to come together. And I think that's that's great. Where I'm at now as a beginner, really, is that I I don't think I know better, so I am listening to, and I'm doing what I'm told, <laughs> and it's working. Guess what? It's working. So, so I I remember reading a book. Um, I think. It was called Muscle. It was by uh, this guy who was a, he just started going to the gym recreationally. I think his name was Fussell. Um, 
and he started going to the gym recreation. Then he started getting into the the training there, but he wasn't. He was a tall, lean guy, so he didn't gain muscle particularly well. But he started hanging out with some bodybuilders. In the end, they, they persuaded him to en- enter his first competition, and he goes through this whole sort of description of his training. Then he starts talking about, and he's living in California, so it's not particularly cold. He's talking about how he's um, dieting down for um, competition day. And he said he got to the point where he was so cold, he'd lost so much fat that his buttocks were basically sitting on his bones. And he said it was uncomfortable to sit down. And he was wrapped up in two blankets on his bed, shivering, you know, the day before the competition. And then he said he went in and it was basically like painting himself with creosote to get his body ready. Um, I I thought, well, that doesn't sound particularly enticing at all. No, I think I I am enjoying this, the new, new category, the newer categories, I'd say, in bodybuilding, which is this bikini category for women which does require you to have a healthy amount of body fat. And I'm, I, I look at the more extreme categories and they don't seem particularly appealing because, yeah, you do have to go into a really focused, deep place with it. And I think I've sort of, I've done that with my, with one sport. I, I just, I, I want, I want this to be a, a good experience. I, I saw your photographs from your recent competition though, Alice, where you, you won, didn't you? You won yeah. your category, yeah. And you, I have to say, you look pretty flipping lean there. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I was leaner, healthy. Leaner than you would have been as a triathlete? or um, Especially so. more, there's more tone there, isn't there? Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's, there's leanness, and but there's still retaining the muscle. So yeah. you've got fullness in the muscle, but less subcutaneous fat and less water. So right. that's the, the whole art. So you, you, got, you don't look like you've just come out of a concentration camp, you know, and you mm. don't want to look um, haggard. You know, it's all about full shoulders, but, you know, have, I mean, Alice has got an awesome midsection, which very few women, you know, have, will ever have. Um, so that's our, our selling point. Uh, and then what we're trying to do now is to build the shoulders and the back to further emphasize that relative to our height, the quad sweep, because it's all it's about percentage, you know, in, in terms of body fat, but also you've got your conditioning overall, you've got your symmetry side to side, your proportions. So there's no point in having huge biceps and small calves. Calves and biceps should be of a similar sort of size. So it, it, it is quite a, a, it's almost an art form. Um, mm. And I think the, the thing that getting back to Alice was saying earlier, and someone said to me years ago, he said, "You train in the, you know, in the in the dojo." He said, "You can hit this, you can hit that, you can jump up, spin around, but you walk down the street and no one knows how much you train." He said, "I'm a bodybuilder, and when I walk down the street, everyone knows what I do because I look great." <laughs> and I just thought it sat with me for ages. And I thought <laughs> the same if you look at Alice, she could be the world's best triathlon expert in the whole world. But unless you were in that world, you would never know. Whereas she goes into a gym now and everyone's like, wow, you know, you clearly work out. And I think that's a real feel-good factor, especially yeah. for, for, for females. I think. It's, um, it's been quite eye-opening so far in terms of what I, what I thought. And all the girls say the same. Like, they're all, all the competitors I met at this competition, Miami Pro, all of the same. You know, it's done wonders for their self-confidence and mm-hmm. their, their inner happiness you know they've never felt it's, it's very empowering and who'd have thought empowerment would come on a stage in a bikini in high mm-hmm. heels but yeah. 100% I mean it's been it's been mind-blowing really um to go out and and deliver that and also just learn things like stage presence and something really new you know I cannot move I cannot move to, to 
for the life of me. But I, I trained to, I trained it just like you train anything. I had a posing coach. And so, yeah, she taught me all about releasing inhibitions and getting out there and owning, taking up your space. And lo and behold, this sort of alter ego came out and your posture changes and your demeanor changes and mm. the crowd as well. It's, it was a sort of braying crowd. It was quite intimidating. But once, you, once you're out there, it's actually highly supportive. And you think it would be quite bitchy and things. People would be eyeballing each other. But everyone's on your side that's what it felt like the competitors the crowd it's just a celebration really and obviously there's nerves but it's it was a wonderful experience so that empowerment that you felt Alice how was that translated into your everyday life (laughs) it's a bit like Mark just said then I just noticed like when I walk to the gym it's about my local gym's half a mile away and I go down with my headphones and my gym gear um and I can feel I'm sort of strutting (laughs) Sounds a bit sounds a bit weird, but but my uh, I I hold myself much taller. I, my confidence is I'm prouder. I'm proud of who I am. I feel stronger. And I did think when I first started this, it was only six months ago. Um, I, I did think I wonder if I had got myself stronger and I grew physically, would my mind follow? Because after lockdown and things, I was in rather a delicate kind of place a bit lost in the world yet again um and lo and behold it has yes the answer is unequivocally yes what's, are you what's your day job Alice so I work in the gym part-time um, okay. as a manager and I, I write as well do some copywriting at home so work from home um, right. so yeah it's great to be back in the real world I'm, I'm just I'm just wondering about when you walk into when you walk into the supermarket when you if you're going out for dinner or if you're going to meet friends in a pub or going for a coffee when you walk in do you feel like you're walking in with more presence now so rather than because I know a lot of a lot of tall people particularly tall females almost shrink don't they they, they sort of don't like to yeah so um, they don't they're reminding not, me of my posture still they don't like to demonstrate and I think being on the bike for years you know that kind of doesn't do much for your you know your posture but um yeah it's just the the basics of you know the beautifying thing the self-care it, this is all new to me as well so I've had I a need few to get self-tanning disasters but what I need to get you to do Alice is just just lean back a little bit because I can only see the the bottom half that's better yeah <laughs> sorry yeah <laughs> that's so, better. so yeah just but the whole self-care so making just just making myself like just taking more time to look nice actually I didn't think there was any value to that really but I'm really? that wow. there actually is and it's it's that's yeah, it's just it's, it's not about it's not doing it for anyone else but you feel better within yourself if you if you look in the mirror and you think oh that looks nice it's um it's a good feeling yeah, uh-huh. yeah. well maybe that might encourage a few more people to go to the gym from the triathlon world yeah I think I think so many years spent muddy and sweaty and bedraggled and uh-huh. things it's it's still I've still do quite a bit of that you know the gym is still very physical and things but but no it's a nice change just learning learning all these sort of beautification tips all these girls they've done it for years but it's nice to be as I say it's nice to be a beginner and just embrace something completely different Mark you look like you were just about to jump in there I just you know I I I agree it's one of those things someone looked at me really surprised once and they said why do you do it and I went vanity and they just looked like that wasn't the answer they wanted. And I said, well, you know, I like looking different. I don't like to be a stereotypical person. Um, I don't want to be, you know, just another number one. 
Um, so if I can enhance the way I look, I, I prefer that. I like, not everyone likes the body or the look, but I like it. And that's all that matters for me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you look at the nail industry, the hair industry, the cosmetics industry, um, the clothing industry is all based around looking good and to a, to a degree vanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're going to spend all that money and just pin it on a body, which is subpar, why would you do that when you could actually build a body that enhances the look of all of that? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, it, there's levels of extreme. Not everyone wants, you know, a 20 inch waist and 50 inch shoulders. But at the end of the day, um, you've only got one body and you might as well make it how you want it. And I, and I think that's a really important point because, yeah, you know, there's a lot of people who would never admit that when they go on holiday, they don't really want to put their bikini on. Oh, it is not, uh, listen, I, I used to have a personal training gym. And the biggest number of inquiries we got were um, after Christmas, obviously New Year's resolutions, or coming up to the summer when people were bothered about what they looked like on the beach, male and female. And I mean, there's there's also the aging thing as well. It's like if you look at what happens to people as they get into the 50s and 60s, they lose body, they lose function, don't they? The inability to perform basic functional tasks because they're losing muscle mass they lose the ability to move well and they can't perform certain things. You know, I remember my mum couldn't undo the top off a jam jar. She couldn't lift a box into a cupboard above her head. They're simple, basic things, which most of these can be overcome with regular visits to the gym. I know a lot of people don't like that, but you can, you can get a lot of better function into older age by going to the gym regularly. And if you look good into the process, then, that's a bonus, isn't it? Well, I certainly, I mean, I, I was listening to a podcast where uh, one particular coach was trying to actually make it almost uh, like a prescription thing for people over 50 to go to the gym yeah. to offset sarcopenia, which is obviously muscle yep. wasting due to age. Mm. Um, as you get older, your ability to assimilate protein goes down. So people should eat more protein as they get older because their muscle protein synthesis isn't as efficient. But whatever most people do, they don't eat as much protein. They go down, but they should go up. They don't go to the gym when they should go to the gym. Um, And actually, I think it's actually youth-giving going to the gym. Uh, And that's not just saying that because that's my sport. That's actually a fact. Um, And a lot of people in in our gym, if you went in there and tried to guess their age, you'd be quite surprised, (laughs) you know. And and that's, that's probably true of many gyms. There's a lot of people in there who are probably five to 10 years older than you actually think they are. Mm. Uh, and, and, you know, and that's, that, that's weight training, not necessarily bodybuilding. So, but I think, you know, it's got a lot, of, it gets a lot of negative press because of the drugs involved and the extremes, but there's, there's far more pluses, I think. Alice, I just want to go back. I want to, I want to get, I want to clarify this pre-competition nutrition because it sounded like everything was off limits according to Mark's sort of like strict yes. <laughs> list. So, so, um, I watched this video once and it, it made me laugh. It was a guy who was, he was entering his first bodybuilding competition and he was saying, right, so I have, uh, in the morning I have fish and then I have rice cakes later on. And then uh, about 11 o'clock I have uh, rice cakes and then I have, uh, and then at one I have fish. And then it was like, these were the only two ingredients on his menu. And then he gets to one bit when he says at three o'clock I have, uh, oh, now, Rice cakes. And it was like, <laughs> gone, mate. You've only got two things to choose from. And that was that, that, but it stuck in my mind this. And I thought, what? Never mind beige. That's just white. <laughs> Fish and rice cakes. It must, it's got, yeah, I had a few 
options. It's got to be. Oh, so go on, t- tell us, tell us what your di- tell us what your day consists so, of then in competition. For, for I still get my I get my eggs in the morning or yeah. protein porridge. So, yeah. yeah, no but, silk. You, you haven't, you haven't, you haven't added any colour yet. It's still white. No, no, it was white. <laughs> and there's fish and rice, or you could have potatoes and yeah. chicken. And yeah, white. And broccoli. Oh, green. If you're desperate, <laughs> if you're desperate, you can have you can have a sugar-free jelly. Because there's no calories in that. <laughs> I was drinking these diet fanta's like by the. So it's so it's green. So it's a, not allowed. <laughs> so it's white or a little bit of green. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> It was white and green, you know, that's it, that's it. Um, no. well, on Wednesday, we had a bit of a disaster, though, because my, my sister had her birthday, so I bought my sister a birthday hamper. <laughs> and then I realised, because you touched on it earlier, if it's not in the house, it's not a problem. The moment you bring something into yeah. the house, and you're on yeah. that, oh, you're on the edge. No, so the hamper was destroyed, and then I felt really guilty. So I, I brought the rest of the hamper to Mark, to the gym, because Darren was away at the time. And he looked at me, and luckily there was another lady who competed at a high level, and she's like, don't worry, Alice, we've all been there. A bit of sugar is fine. And Mark, Mark's ready to, like, stab me or something. Um, but it all worked out fine. You know, that's the thing. It's like, you can go, you can be too OCD, and I don't, I don't want to get to that stage. So a little bit here and there. If you've done the work, you've done the majority of the work, and there are a few blips. Uh, a healthy, right? Yeah. 90-10, right? I've had to buy my sister a new present. We've got her a necklace in the end. I couldn't eat that. Yeah. <laughs> I ate the hamper. <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> I couldn't eat. Good. Well, that's well, that's your job, right, as a coach, Mark, isn't it? Is to protect yeah. Alice from those things by... Exactly. Yeah. So... You know, I have um, to mitigate any potential disasters by consuming yeah. illegal calories. I used to offer that as a service to my personal training clients at Christmas and Easter by saying, um, we, we're operating this uh, charitable um, claiming of chocolate and things if you don't want them yeah. and, and any Prosecco and champagne, you bring them here and we'll we'll make sure they're adequately disposed of so you don't have to. I, I, honestly, for free, just bring them along. Um, but, um, that'll be my retirement plan, I think. <laughs> that'll yeah. be a career for me. Yeah. Go, ahead, go ahead, Mark. I was going to say, then... The weird flip side of it is on show day, it completely turns its, on, on itself oh, yeah. on its head. Show day is amazing. Because obviously <laughs> we're trying to enhance vascularity. We're trying to gain muscle fullness. So, you know, she's obviously very nervous um, because it's her first show. And I'm just trying to get to get her to lie down and elevate her feet to drain any fluid out of her legs, go to the toilet regularly so that we're dry subcutaneously. Um, and get her to eat stuff that I've told her she can't eat. I said, eat that cheesecake. <laughs> and she was like, what? I said, drink the wine, eat the cheesecake. Try white wine. <laughs> oh, really? Try white wine wow. And cheesecake. Oh, I need to hang around one of these. <laughs> so uh, just go, let's go back to that inflammation thing, Alice. So you had this, you told me the other day that Mark said to you, I don't want you to do any legwork. I want to stay off your feet because walking around creates a little bit of inflammation in the muscles. So I don't want any of that because that'll, that'll then lead to some fluid retention. And then you were saying nobody wants inflamed muscles in a triathlon. So why would you train in the last few days? So uh, I can see why triathletes would get a bit nervous about not training. So how would we, how would Mark, maybe I don't know who'd be best place to answer this. How would we balance that out to minimize the inflammation, but make sure we're still retaining some of that cardiac function. So, the inflammation will generally come from delayed onset muscle soreness hmm. and 
harder resistance training. So of the final week, we might train Monday to Wednesday. Show might be on a Sunday. So we'll train multiple body parts on a Monday, on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday, possibly on a Thursday, maybe something like like arms. But then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, it's just cardio imposing. So it's a slow walk, but nothing where we're, we're breaking down muscle right. tissue and microscopic tears that might literally lead to a little bit of inflammation, water retention. Uh, and again, it's, it, I know it sounds silly, but everyone goes on stage brown. But the last thing you do in peak week is have a sunbed because what happens when you have a sunbed, you go bright red, you hold water because it's, it's skin damage. So mm. last thing you need. So there's little protocols that we follow just to try and keep uh, her looking exactly as we want. I guess as a as a triathlete, if you're training regularly, you're not going to get a great deal of DOMS if you're running for 15 or 20 minutes. And generally, I wouldn't, I would get people to ease back on the running more than I would perhaps on the cycling or swimming. So there's probably minimal impact like, there anyway. Just, but the other day, I, I just asked Mark. I said, "Well, so, so, I don't understand why sometimes I wake up and I'm I look defined and ripped, and other times I don't. I just change shape completely." And and it's like. I, I just wondered whether, because now he's explained why, you know, the, the various salts and things like that and, and inflammation, whether triathletes, there isn't a space for triathletes to make an actual visual check of their muscle tone and their level of inflammation and, mm. and stuff. Because mm. it does, your body does change visibly. And that's what bodybuilding is all about. It's all about the aesthetic. But there's a performance element to that, reducing the inflammation, which you can actually see. So it's like, why, why didn't we ever do some sort of basic visual to, to go alongside all the, the other metrics? Because you're just supposed to get sore and swollen and, and tired, aren't you, in triathlon? That's the whole point. Is if, you're not fe- if you're not feeling completely exhausted and tired, you're not training hard enough. Obviously, when right? you are injured, you get the massive swelling, don't you, often in places. But I, I used to get you this... should be looking for the more lower-level stuff. I, I used to... I don't know. Yeah, I used to get this thing after doing an Ironman where my legs would really be swollen. There'd be no definition on my calves. Of course, bearing in mind that I was quite low body fat coming into it. And then two days afterwards, and then I get this pain under my diaphragm. Um, And if I weigh myself and I've got these, you know, these scales that tell me my body fat levels, and I know they're not super accurate, but you can see trends, um, lower body fat, higher um, hydration level. Um, I'm, I'm feeling really congested under my diaphragm. Um, but I'm not peeing a lot, even though I'm drinking a lot. And I think this is this is my kidney and liver just balancing out. Um, there's a lot of inflammation in there, obviously, from running a marathon and cycling for five or six hours. And by about day three, all of a sudden, I, I can't stop going to the toilet. It's every hour, and it's just getting rid of all that fluid. And it takes about four or five days for my body to uh, to equalize. And, and I, probably also because a lot of the Ironman races are done in, in sort of quite – warm conditions so there's there's a whole yeah. sort of thing about dehydration as well going on there i've noticed i mean triathlon certainly in those groups i would associate with there, there was always that hurry to get back into things oh, so whether, no, not for whether me. we actually gave enough time for recovery i never yeah. felt like i i always felt like i needed more recovery than i really gave myself or got and yeah as you say hindsight's an amazing thing i'd love to go back and just chill out a bit with it and, and mm. see and, and so, yeah but I say I'm pleased with what I did anyway. Well, it's, <laughs> it's got to be a bit roly-poly to have a proper experience, right? 
Just um, you mentioned that Mark's not keen on you taking protein drinks. Mark, um, supplementation, you, you mentioned you touched on, and I'm not sure how comfortable you are talking about this on, on, on a podcast about the chemical enhancement of, of bodybuilders. But let's talk about the natural side first. Uh, um, do you recommend any supplements to um, to Alice or oh. to, any, to any of the other um, physique competitors? Um, or do you, do you try to encourage them to get everything from a normal diet first? I mean, if you're a natural bodybuilder, there, you know, and and you're competing naturally, there's the, the WADA, you know, World Anti-Doping Agency list is vast, so yeah. you have to be extremely careful what pre-workouts you take, what supplements you take. Um, the the you know, whey protein, uh, whether it be isolate, concentrate, or blend, has its place. Uh, but the trouble with with a lot of people, especially females, but a lot of guys become very intolerant of of whey. Uh, so they can get quite bloated. So, you know, I'll probably put whey protein in once, like in, with my breakfast, the same with Alice. Uh, maybe, you know, whereas a lot of people have it for breakfast, they'll have a protein shake after training, and a protein shake in the evening. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's, yeah, whey isolate is, is a good quality protein, but it doesn't agree with everyone. You know, I, I still very old fashioned. I think if you get it from food, that's the, the, the best policy. Uh, again, you know, there's arguments to say that if you're eating, grass-fed beef, decent turkey, chicken, eggs, uh, you're getting enough essential amino acids as well. So do you need to go out and buy a packet of essential amino acids or branch aminos? Possibly no. Um, but, um, you know, then you've got people who aren't balancing their diet and aren't in those where supplementation could be, could be useful. Um, a lot of the other stuff is a little bit, smoke and mirrors really everyone likes to think that creatine is fantastic um but to be honest with you then then you get into the argument of why do i have ph balanced creatine uh, or crealkaline or do i have normal creatine monohydrate which i have to load over a loading period and then then maintain um and you know then then everyone's arguing about the type of creatine so uh, you know for me creatine yeah it holds intracellular water you know it's it's good for feeling pumped, but the moment you stop using it, you almost literally deflate, you know, it's as fast as you pumped up, it's a little bit of a, you know, a temporary measure. So I think, you know, I sponsor the BNBF, which is a, is a, a drug-free federation. Um, and the best athletes on there, they have to be a little bit more measured with their training. They don't recover as well as the enhanced athletes. Big, big issue there. Um, but you can still get extremely lean. And what I will say is that natural athletes, because they are only tools of trade, are training, nutrition, and cardio, they have to get those three absolutely perfect. And when they do, they get in an incredible condition. Right. Not doing anyone else down, but there's a lot of enhanced athletes that think, I'll just take a bit of that, take a bit of that, and I won't really have to worry about the diet. And actually, you know what? They, they, they could actually probably learn a lot from a, a natural bodybuilder who's doing it properly and not just relying on drugs so that's that that thing about the, the hacks and the shortcuts isn't it to get somewhere is that really like in triathlon there are no shortcuts really if you want to get to the very top there's a lot of hard work doing the yeah. basics right and i always think the same in endurance sports is i mean obviously if you if you want to start using the little things, the marginal gains, make sure you've got all the basics done first. You know, because the mar marginal gains are very marginal, um, and the, yeah. you know, um, endurance sports are, are supposed to be about the long term. But there's only so fast the body can respond, and you can't really mess with biology 
I, I could be yeah. rude and use a four-letter word there, but you, you can't fuck with biology, can you? You know, um, well, or, or you can you can do, but that's when you start going down the chemical route, and then that has other implications that you need to be aware of, and um, you know, that's a whole other discussion. Oh yeah, I mean, and you know, everyone realizes that bodybuilding is 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 rife with performance enhancing drugs, but you know, and I, I hate to be the person that states the obvious, but every high-level sport is subject to performance enhancing drugs. Um, some sports are far better remunerated so that they have methods and means that are avoid detection. Bodybuilding is still quite archaic, but also um, there's when the shows are not drug tested, no one cares because you're not going to lose your show because you took some anabolic steroids. So it's unfortunately, that's the way it is. And it, you know, it, when you're in a non-tested show, it's a bit like trying to race Formula One in the Formula Three car. You either get a Formula One car and try and be competitive or stick to Formula Three with your Formula Three car. Um, very rarely does a, a natural athlete go into an enhanced show um, at a senior, a decent level and win. Um, and you know what? If they do, they're probably one of those very, very gifted people that has superior genetics. And then if they were enhanced, they'd probably win everything. Um, so, you know, that, that just shows you the power of genetics versus the power of drugs. Some people who are natural with great genetics Mm. One sat right here could easily, and I'm not so saying that because she sat it, easily be an enhanced athlete who has poor genetics. Okay, Alice, it's been a fantastic journey. It's been really interesting to to chat with you about this, not not just about the differences in training, but also about that whole thing about self-esteem and yeah. um, confidence yeah. and empowerment and, and that change of identity. If you could leave us with a, two or three lessons that you've learned from, from making this change, would that be something you could pull together in a off the top of your head? Do you think? Two or three things I've learned. The big, think, the biggest, the biggest take homes from this whole journey for you, from when you started out as a triathlete to where you're at now. I think it's absolutely don't sweat the small stuff. I mean, yes, uh, you can get yourself into such a sort of anxious state if you like trying to trying to do everything too perfectly as well, and it's just. You're, I think if you to do something, you must accept you've got to do that ten years. I mean, I, I might I don't know if I've got ten years with with this, but you've got to. Do, I mean, at least I've got my base level of athletic training for the last thirty years, so that gives me a bit of a head start. But there's no shortcuts, as you say. There's yeah, it's it all takes time, and it's like you, you can either enjoy the process or you can put yourself under huge pressures let other people dictate that that sort of timeline for you whereas I think yeah as an older athlete it's like I, I'm not afraid to say no for the first time in my life really I I want to know I want I want to make informed decisions about which federations and which competitions I'll do whereas before I was told by a coach where I go or advised so now I'm sort of taking more control of that yeah so trusting your gut Doing what you want rather than what you feel you should is a key one. So I think as a, in triathlon, you know, we've got so many athletes that are, and maybe that's changing now, but everyone wants to do the Ironman stuff, go to Kona. And I remember for me, it wasn't, it was all a bit, you know, corporate, it seemed like Ironman. I really preferred races like Israman in Israel, you know, and Club La Santa, the volcano triathlon. And so I would support them and get, and yeah, it was whilst I still went down the Ironman route as well and got swept along by that it was that was the expectation 
Whereas actually you can have, you can carve another career or another pathway in the same sport, but just do it your own way with the sort of things that float your boat rather and sort of thinking outside the box a little bit. So whether that's just, <laughs> there's a few points probably. <laughs> well, we're only, we're only here once, aren't we? And I've been, I've been reading the book about, it might sound a bit more, but it's the five regrets of the dying. And one of the things in that book, so if you've never read it, it's a really interesting book. But one of the things yeah. in that is living your own life about having the courage to live your own life, not the life that's ex- that's sort of expected yeah. of you yes. or, or the pathway yeah. that other people set out for you is really, I think that's a really important um, lesson there. Mark, um, you've already said that triathlon you you've only your your only experience with triathletes is um Alice and Emma so um having worked with Alice a bit more now what what are the um what are the keep what are the positives of triathletes making the jump over into into the gym into the uh, in, into the physique world um i th- i think in some respects it's it's great working with a, an accomplished athlete because they know what good looks like, they know what hard work looks like. Um, they're not shy to get stuck in. Sometimes it's very difficult to take someone who does something in an extreme way and tell them to do a complete U-turn um, and do it this way. Uh, and you know, our biggest saying in bodybuilding is trust the process. So we have this conversation, just trust me, do it, it'll happen. Just trust me. And that's when you, you know, you've got to just take a leap of faith and think, okay, I said, tell you what, trust me, if it, if it works, hug me. If it doesn't, sack me, you know. But, um, you know, it, I like working with athletes who are just, you know, for me, it's a bit like a bouncy ball. I like it. The harder I throw someone at the wall, the harder they come back at me. So when I have a training session, I'll put 100% in, I get 110% back. They don't drain my energy like a sponge. They bring their own energy to the gym. That's probably the biggest thing for me. Um, they're competitive. They don't want to lose, which is exactly the way I am. So it works well with me. Um, so then we work as a team because we both want to win. Neither of us want to lose. We both put 100% in. So, yeah, it's it, it's had its moments because, you know, she's very strong-willed um, and experienced in her own sport. So. And I'm equally opinionated and experienced in my sports. Sometimes, sometimes we we handshake hands. Sometimes we butt heads. But you know, we've got the good results and it works. And it, you know, it, it, there's a big trust element there. And even like Alice said about finding our own path, I've got very strong views on certain federations and shows. But I just let her go to them. Didn't say anything. Let her come back and say what. And generally, it was exactly what I thought. But I thought you've got to find out. I don't want to cloud your judgment. Because there's a fitness modeling and then there's bodybuilding. And so I was looking more, the Miami Pro that I did, that's more, I would say, fitness modeling. And then there's the other federations, which I went to look at. And it's like, no. And then I came bouncing back to Mark. Like, I want to be an athlete, Mark. <laughs> and so we're, we're all friends again now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I've... But I wanted to find out for myself. I think that's important rather than listen to other people's opinions. Go and see. Well, I'm reminded of when I was little and my mom said, don't put your hand on that oven, Simon, because it's hot. But I still did it and, and I never did it again. Hey, listen, it's been really good to uh, to catch up with you, Alison. Yeah, Mark, yeah, lo- yeah. lovely to meet you. Thank you for your input in that and um, uh, in giving us some insight into a completely different world for yeah. triathletes. And you never know, there may just be one person listening to this 
that uh, thinks, oh, actually, I'd quite like to do something completely different. And, yeah, if they uh, want to get in touch, feel free. Well, we will put we will put your uh, links and everything on the show notes. I know that you said you specialise in helping females, Mark, but I guess that yes. if uh, a male triathlete came along and said he wanted a bit of guidance, you wouldn't turn them away, would you? Oh no, no, not at all. I mean, and to a certain extent, the principles are the same. Obviously, with a with a with a woman, their hormones change every fourteen days, so training is slightly different and that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I, I, I prep. I mean, obviously, I compete myself or, or did compete. So, and I still put guys on stage. Um, it's just that my niche is female. But uh, anyone that's up for it, I'm 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 up for the task. We sh- we should have perhaps talked about the the whole menopause and um, monthly cycle because that's that's an important part of working with females that a lot of coaches, particularly male coaches, um, haven't got hold of. But I think perhaps maybe we should leave that for another podcast. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. We could get as technical as you want. That's no problem. Cool. Right. Well, Mark, Alice, a bit absolutely brilliant to have you on the yeah. show. Thank you very much Great. for uh, for joining us, and um, let's see what comes back at you. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. Bye bye. Bye for now. Bye. To make sure that you don't miss any future episodes, please go to iTunes, search for the High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast, and click subscribe. Don't forget that I have a free gift for anybody who signs up to the mailing list, and you can find that link in the show notes, or you can just email beth at thetriathloncoach.com. Thank you again to Alice and Mark for being guests on this week's High Performance Human Podcast. As usual, you can find links to all of today's discussion topics in the show notes below. That's all for now. So I hope you have a great week and I will see you on the next episode.